complimentary thing to say about Trek. Uh, I like waffles. I like waffles. Man, I am. Breakfast foods are the best foods at all of the times. And even if I don't like you, if I don't like Donkey, if I'm Shrek and I don't like Donkey and I don't like anybody, and somebody's offering to make me breakfast foods, that person can stay until they finish making the foods and doing the dishes. And then they're out. Well, that's because you have a kind, open heart. Uh, And Shrek, you know, has got some stuff he's working through. Not that he doesn't also have a kind heart. Yeah, he does. It's just a gruff exterior because I understand that parfaits have layers. You know, there's a lot of food talk in Shrek, and uh, I do desperately, uh, for the sake of professionalism, try not to eat on the show. Uh, But it was that kind of evening, and I am having a a smoothie for dinner while we record that is very Shrek-colored, I would say. A Shrek-colored smoothie. Yeah, it's how you know it's good for you. I so think. it's made out of ground <laughs> up Shreks. It's, I um, would never eat an ogre, sir. Are, are there are there baby Shreks in the uh, continued sequels? Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. There's also uh, donkey uh, dragon hybrids, which uh, introduces a lot of questions. To children, <laughs> <I think>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I have a whole set of questions about the the level of this world. Which but hello, everybody. Whole franchise thing. Welcome to the Good Trash Donner Cast, where we gather around table, we discuss the films you'll never discuss on Film Stays Course. This week's film is Shrek, uh, brought to you by the same people who brought you The Chronicles of Narnia. What? But anyway, um, very, very different film. Uh, and so, uh, starring Mike Myers, Eddie Murphy, Cameron Diaz, uh, Vincent Cassell is in this yes. movie? Yeah, yes, he is. He is. <laughs> Yes, he is. Get a two for one on Vincent Cassell. You can have him do the U.S. version and the the French dub. (laughs) I I have so many feelings about that. But anyway, I'm still Dustin. I'm still Arthur. Uh, I am still Dalton, and I do not have layers. I am not like an onion. I'm more like, I don't know, a rutabaga. Or a banana, Uh, like one small layer. Oh yeah, actually, that's exactly it. I'm I'm like a banana. Uh, I, I have a deceptive layer, and it is very easily peeled off. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's me. I, I don't have layers. I just have secrets, and uh, that's all we're going to talk about. Moving right along, though. Uh, in case you're tuning in the show for the very first time, I don't want to keep it a secret that we are going to do spoilers uh, throughout this discussion. But we're going to avoid them at the first part of the of the show. So in case you haven't seen one of the greatest blockbuster hits of the early 2000s, which is now like 18 years old as a film, uh, if you haven't seen Shrek, uh, what I want to warn you is that we will avoid spoilers during a synopsis. We'll avoid spoilers generally during a thumbs up, thumbs down reviews. We will be mild with our spoilers during our moment of the show where we do this exercise called expanding the syllabus. And finally, when we get down to business and we get down to analysis, all spoiler bets are off. That is all the warning that we are going to provide. So take it as thou wilt, dear friends, uh, listening on your ear pods, wherever you are. So with that being said, Arthur, do you have a synopsis of of Shrek? Yeah, just to be clear, though, uh, as of the day you're listening to this, Shrek is officially 20 years old. Oh, it turned 20. April 22nd, I believe, of 2001. Ah, see, this explains why my birth father took me to see it, actually. Gotcha. Yeah. Because of when in April it was. Sorry, go on. (laughs) No, you're good. Uh, Checks out. I don't understand. And that's for the best, probably, Dustin. Can you explain more to me about this? <laughs> It'll have to wait till off air. I, I think I don't. I don't want to incriminate you in front of uh, prying ears. Okay, fair enough. Loner Ogre Shrek wants to be left alone in his swamp, but after Lord Farquaad rounds up all the local fairy tale creatures and encamps them in the swamp, Shrek makes a deal. 
he'll go rescue the Princess Fiona so that Farquaad can become king. In exchange, he gets the deed to the swamp. All of those things happen. What? Arthur, that ogre joke is... Uh, I am reeling right now. What was it? Um, your your little uh, rhyming uh, bit at the top. I already forgot. Loner ogre. Loner ogre. Thank you, God. I am. That's. I've just sent me to all the way through time and space back to our first episode. Holy crap! <laughs> what an opener, dude. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, it was good stuff. I'll um, be here all week. <laughs> I hope it doesn't take that long to finish recording this show. Uh, <laughs> So, with that being said, uh, I'm 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 curious to hear what we have to say. But we do thumbs up, thumbs down reviews. Uh, we might be able to do this fairly quickly. Do you like Shrek or not, Dalton? Go, man. I don't even know. Uh, as I just alluded to, uh, th- this film uh, is one I saw in the cinemas uh, with my famous and oft mentioned uh, birth father. You know, the one who took me to see Training Day. Blah 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 blah. We don't need to get into it. Uh, you've, if you've listened to the show, you're rolling your eyes, probably. If not, you're confused, and that's okay. Uh, point is, uh, I, you know, obviously Shrek is a part of my childhood. I am 30 this year, so I was, you know, what, nine when the movie came out? I hadn't quite turned 10. Uh, it is way deep back there in the lizard brain. You know, it, it got wedged in there in the uh, the early pop culture interest seeds. Um, does that mean the movie's good? I mean, again, I don't know. I find it watchable, though. Uh, I find it quotable. Uh, I don't know that the good lines are really even jokes. They're just said with panache and charisma. Um, I do think it's funny that in a children's movie, they found a way to name the bad guy fuckwad. That's pretty funny. <laughs> uh, and I, I think if that lands with you, then Shrek's going to land with you. Uh, it, it is an okay movie that I think is bogged down by the, I would go as far as to say detrimental impact it had on American animation. Um, and we can get into that. It can and will get into that more later in the show. Um, but it, it is the house, uh, just like a, a new line is the house that Freddie built. DreamWorks SKG, DreamWorks Animation, uh, is the house that Shrek uh, and, by extension, Jeffrey Katzenberg built. Um, it's, I mean, it's fun. It's watchable. It's clean ninety minutes and you're out. It's got some good premises, some good ideas. Uh, I think you know, opening with the Disney score uh, before the flush of a toilet and your Smash Mouth song is a great way to like say that this is what your movie is. Um, I don't know. It, it probably seemed cool in two thousand and one uh, after the Disney Renaissance to to open a movie like that. It, it lands more or less now, uh, but you know, it, it is a film largely uh, also dependent on needle drops, uh, which is not a thing that uh, you know I expected. Uh, but it, it's weird. Uh, the, the tendrils of Shrek are long and outreaching, I guess, is what I'm getting at. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's fine. I don't think that I like it, though. I had a fair enough time watching it. Uh, I was more or less entertained, but I have a hard time uh, getting on board with it, I guess. Um, but I'm, I'm excited to talk about it. It was very fun to revisit it. Um, again, don't hate it. Uh, and I, I just know that I have a difficult time separating myself uh, away from the movie enough to really have a firm opinion on it. it. It does succeed at what it wants to be though. And for that, I cannot fault it. Um, it's, it is more a matter of uh, personal taste, I suppose. All right. Well, thank you very much for that. Mr. Dalton Stewart, Arthur Gordon, do you like Shrek? You know what? I, I wasn't sure going in how this was going to hold up. It's been over a decade probably since I've seen it. Um, and I, actually was quite taken with it. I, I enjoyed it a good deal. Um, 
I feel it has this nice earnest daring um, to it. It, it. it feels like a small, you know, this is a movie that had obviously been in production for a long, long time. Um, and I, I think the heart to try and get that to the screen pulls through. I, I feel like the people who got on board with this movie were really passionate about it. And I think that comes through in, in the work and the product. And it does have this defiance to Dalton's point, you know, it flushes that toilet. And I think there's something to that, 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 you know, we may get into this later, but the fact that this movie comes out and beats Disney at its own game uh, or Pixar and Disney in this, in that same year uh, is really something interesting. Uh, And I think that kind of speaks to the need of seeing something like this. I think it still has echoes of the nineties when it was being made and produced um, it, it has that sort of existential mindset that we've talked often about, about 90s films kind of being ahead of the game, outside the box, throwing stuff against the wall. Uh, and so it, it doesn't do, you know, I think I, I think it does, you know, avoid being the safe, the safe bet a lot of times. Um, and so I, I think that earnestness to it, that daring it has is really admirable. I think it has a ton of heart. I think it's still got some sharp satire. I, I think a lot of the stuff that works really works. Um, and I think mostly, you know, that the Dalton's reference of that opening, uh, I think that's going to work as long as Disney's films are in, uh, in, in, in cycle and, and available and uh, available to younger audiences. As long as kids can sit down with their parents and watch Cinderella and, and Snow White uh, as long as those are, you know, viable household products, that opening to Shrek works. Um, and I think that's something really interesting as well, because this is going to be kind of a shadow, I think, that haunts Disney in some ways. And I don't mean that in like a weird business sense, but it, it feels like as long as Disney's relevant, Shrek is relevant. Um, and I think there's something to that. And it's hard to remember 2001 Shrek. Because I was only, you know, I would have been 15. Dalton, you would have been what? 10 uh nine, 9 going on 10 yeah yeah i would have been fifth almost 15 and, and so you know my kind of you know dustin would have maybe have a better understanding of kind of its impact in the that time but it's hard to remember pre-franchise shrek and what it was you know how mm. it was kind of perceived before it came out before the release what was anticipated especially with a movie this kind of history of, of being in production for so long in development uh and, and for it to become kind of this perfect storm, uh, I think is really interesting. And uh, I really admire a lot of what it's doing. I, I think it's a super easy watch. I think it may be a little too rushed. I, I think there's room for a little more development. Uh, hmm. You know, it's tight. It is tight at that 90 minute mark. Uh, and it's hitting all of the beats really quick. Uh, and it has time for the jokes. And you never get, you know, sometimes comedy have that. Uh, that problem of front-loading the jokes so you get tired by the end. And I don't think this does it. I think it has that pacing down, but I still feel like it may just be a little too too tight. I think maybe a little fat on the bones could help it. Um, but I think there's some great bit. You, you mentioned the bits of Cassell. That was one of my favorite things is that that, that bit that comes up. Uh, and, and it's already playing. You know, we, we'd come to see this a little later, especially with George Miller and Happy Feet uh, and some of this alt-comedy stuff that comes out uh, in the post, you know, 2000s uh that more adult humor that's kind of slid in to this more innocent film um and i think you know there's something to that uh that kind of really makes it a marker of its time and denotes a a certain time and space and so uh, i actually kind of came away with this one uh 
with a lot more like and enjoyment and respect than I really thought I was going to have. Mm. Wow. Now, Arthur, you, you mentioned that you, you and I are kind of unable to parse its uh, cultural significance at the time. Uh, but I, I don't know if either of you know this. Uh, last year, it was selected uh, for preservation by the National Film Registry. <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, it is the first animated American film not produced by Disney, uh, produced or distributed by Disney, uh, yeah. to to earn the honor of going into the film registry. So. Uh, huh. Um, the Library of Congress, at the very least, uh, thinks it is uh, of of worth of examining and worth preservation. Well, I I, I was going to mention this early on, and I forgot to, but I was really thinking about it after watching it and thinking about it. But I, I re- you know, we we always talk, you know, these are the movies you're not going to talk about in a film studies course, and I, I actually think this is one you would talk about in film studies. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. I, yeah I, I think uh, I, I've got a class that I'm uh, I'm very excited to share, but I, I think you're right, Arthur. I think. Uh, for a lot of reasons, this is going to find its way into film yeah. studies at some point. If it's not already, I mean, I would not be surprised if uh, there's folks out there uh, teaching sure. Shrek. I'm sure. Yeah. But that's I mean, where I'm is, at. Yeah, that's where you're at. Dustin, where are you at, bud? I, you know, I got to say, I like it a lot. I, I I still find it charming. I still find it a lot of fun. I still, I love the idea of sending up Disney. Uh, those things work, you know, and, and really, truly, as I saw this movie in 2001, um, just shy of my 21st birthday, um, I have to say that uh, I was probably more in the target demographic than you guys were. I think so, yeah. You know, I mean, I, I think there is a way in which this is definitely an adult's movie. Uh, and like, and you could take the kids and still get to go see the movie you want to see. But I think really the movie's not made for the kids. It's made for me. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, Rose watched this movie with me and she sat down the whole time and watched the whole movie. Rose is my two-year-old daughter. Uh, for those of you listening at home who may not be familiar with the lore of all of our lives. Uh, around the show. Um, and uh, she sat and watched it the whole time and had a good time with it and uh, whatnot. But the whole time I'm watching going, this movie's for me, you know? And uh, that, and I, I think that's some, there's something to that. It is a sort of adult-aimed animation. And you see some of this going on. You know, Toy Story in some ways is very much more for adults than it is for kids as well uh, from Pixar. And so you see some of this movement going on. Of course, the Studio Ghibli stuff has got its own thing going as well. And uh, I, I do find this movie to be interesting as far as its situation between that moving from sort of regular 2D traditional animation into full 3G CGI animation. I think part of the leanness that Arthur notices of it is just the time it took to render a movie like this in uh, 2001 uh, was probably a major concern as well. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, and so just trying to get it out and get it out on time by a date. Um, I think that leanness may be evident in just that turnaround time. I mean, yeah, the movie's got multiple photorealistic adults, which is something uh, Pixar was still like deliberately trying to avoid at this this point in their their run. Mm-hmm. Right. So uh, anyway, uh, I think there there's something to that uh, aspect of it. But yeah, but it's also that weird transition. And there are other movies that are doing this, and I'm not saying that Shrek's the first, or you know, or, or trying to situate it in the in the event. But it is among the first movies that was using uh, star actors uh, to voice the characters rather than you know, I mean, you know, you had Jonathan Taylor Thomas maybe in um, the Lion King and James Earl Jones. But really, those are the only. Uh, everyone else is being cast by just you know random people, and of course, uh, Robin Mufasa is genie. dies half halfway through the movie. Yeah, Robin Williams is a genie, right? I mean, well, Lion King, you've got Jeremy Irons, you've got Matthew Broderick. I, I think, but Dustin, I, I think Dustin is right though in that Shrek solidifies a trend that's already on its way because Arthur's right. right. I mean, 
Lion King's got a stacked cast, but I, right. I think it's it's just it's a turn that's starting to happen uh, in the mid nineties. And then, yeah, yeah, you're I, seeing I think that Shrek... in Lion King, but yeah, you look at like you the Little Mermaid, or mm. even I think is is not Meg Ryan one of the characters in like Anastasia or one of those Warner Brothers? Uh, that's another. I think Anastasia is a dream. No, you're right. That's a Warner Brothers. Yeah, no, WB's it's a boys film. Yeah. Yeah, is I, I know they've got Matt Damon in uh, Titan AE. So the same era, they're also starting to kind of. So there's a little bit there. of that, but but uh, again, you know, some of this, but this is really a moment where it is like stunt cast. Yeah, four you names know? above the title. Right. I mean, for sure, Robin Williams with Aladdin is absolutely a big deal and was part of the marketing. I want, don't want to deny that, but I mean, it was like this is the Mike Myers movie. Him doing that Scottish accent that you love from mm-hmm. So I Married Max Murder. That's right. And Eddie Murphy doing his Eddie Murphy thing. That's right. And also Cameron Diaz. What's she doing? You know, I mean, like it was a thing. John Lithgow. Yeah. You know, and again, there still are, you know, sort of, you know, just people who are only known for their voices, voice actors uh, at work at this film. But uh, it really was, as as Dalton says, like four names above the title. And they're successful, and it really, really works. Uh, and so here I am doing review, but I'm really just talking about why the movie works and what it mm-hmm. is and why it's important. So that's really more analysis. I like it. That's what I want to say. It's fun. I laughed. Mm-hmm. What do you want from me? So um, there you go. Uh, I guess we move on to our next exercise, which is expanding the syllabus. Arthur, can you tell the dear listener what we do when we, when we expand the syllabus? Yeah, so this is going to be a thought experiment where we sit down and develop a course for – uh, you know, any number of college courses uh, and, and structure the texts and the supplemental material that would go with the main title uh, within this course. That's right. So without any further ado, Dalton, what does your expanded syllabus look like regarding Shrek? Well, I had a couple of things I was kicking around and I realized it was just because I didn't uh, want to talk about our East Coast rivals that don't know there are rivals blank check. Uh, so I am going to go ahead and stop uh denying myself what I actually want to talk about, and we'll do that. Uh, I, I mentioned them because they uh, just did a miniseries on John Musker and Ron Clements, the uh, kind of the chief creative architects, you could argue, of the, uh, the Disney Renaissance. Um, just so you kind of know who we're talking about, in case you're not already aware, their directorial uh, run uh, over there includes Great Mouse Detective, Little Mermaid, Aladdin, Hercules, uh, and unfortunately Treasure Planet. Uh, which, you know, did kind of sink 2D animation, uh, despite uh, all of us liking it quite a bit. Uh, Mm -hmm. We talked about it a long time ago on the show. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, probably six years ago at this point. Um, But anyway, uh, that that was my my hesitation. This is a ground that's been covered by a a much more in-depth, much more successful podcast earlier this year. Uh, but but I think it's useful, and you should go listen to that that uh, miniseries they just did on Musker and Clements, because it's really good, and, and it gets into a lot of the history I want to talk about with Shrek. Um, so we'll be reading uh, Disney War, uh, which uh, kind of covers Eisner's, uh, Michael Eisner's tenure uh, as the uh, CEO of uh, Walt Disney, um, looking at you know his career, uh, as well as Musker and Clements, uh, and you know, Katzenberg, who's still there at Disney working uh, you know, pretty high up in their animation department. Um, and there's a lot of butting of heads in this this period at Disney, uh, which does lead to, you know, Katzenberg taking off and co-founding uh, DreamWorks uh, with Spielberg uh, and, and signing on to, uh, you know, be sort of the uh, animations are over there. So we'll also be looking at the 2011 book, The Men Who Would Be King, an almost epic mm-hmm. tale of moguls, movies, and a company called DreamWorks. Uh, so we'll be looking at both of these films. Uh, we'll be looking at a lot of uh, DreamWorks's early output um but and of course we'll be looking at sort of the uh 
what's considered the Disney Renaissance period. And, you know, you'll depending on who you ask, you'll get a couple of different answers on like what the actual run of movies is. But I think we can go ahead and safely say, you know, Little Mermaid to Treasure Planet, uh, thereabouts. Um, I didn't mention that. Uh, yeah, I did mention I worked on Little Mermaid. Sorry. Um, yeah, it's just a very interesting period in animation. And again, I, I know that my little chip on my shoulder about Shrek uh, is probably just because I, I think it made the jokes worse in children's films, truly. Um, because I don't... Shrek's got some jokes, but it re, and it isn't quite leaning on its pop culture references as hard as you know, later Shrek sequels or even um, you know later films from DreamWorks and other animation houses would. But it just it does set a trend, and I, I think it's interesting to look at the trends it sets. As Dustin said, it, it very much solidifies that big uh, star-studded above names above the title cast thing, which again uh, is starting to happen at Disney, and really does get solidified by DreamWorks Animation. It, it is you cannot understate what a big movie Shrek is, and I cannot believe that that is a sentence I just said, but it is true. Uh, and I, I think this class would do a good job of exploring that. Again, we'll look at those books. We'll look at a lot of these films from these two different studios, kind of do some compare and contrast stuff. Um, it, it is easy to forget that, you know, DreamWorks Animation had a lot of 2D stuff coming out at, mm-hmm. at the same time, the stuff that yeah. is a, a lot more earnest. You know, Prince of Egypt, Spirit, the, the horse movie. Um, they've got, uh, you know, yeah, was that one of theirs too? Oh, wow. I didn't even realize that. Um, I think they did that Sinbad movie. But the point yeah. is, they've got a couple of hand-drawn efforts that were, you know, their early stuff they were working on uh, before they fully pivot to CG animation um, right at Shark Tale. Uh, you know, the uh, the Will Smith movie. Uh, further solidifying, like, what would be the, the future of animation going forward. Um, so that's the class. Um, it, it is going to be a, a very much, you know, kind of a film history-centric course uh just kind of looking at the business looking at animation um comparing contrasting 2d and 3d talking about all the the business stuff that goes on behind the scenes uh again if you're if any of this sounds interesting to you i would recommend that that mini series on uh, musker and clements that blank check just did because uh, they do get into this history quite a bit throughout that that marathon and I, I think it's all really really interesting awesome awesome i like the idea of that class quite a bit mr dalton stewart uh and i will say some similar things when i get to my syllabus but before we do that let's hear from arthur what would your syllabus look like there buddy yeah i have a feeling all three of these might supplement one another real well um i I was really trying to figure out the best way to build this out because the thing that struck me about shrek i thought a lot of spongebob SquarePants as well um and i really got stuck on that that kind of absurd alternative humor that Mm. was really coming across in the 90s specifically uh, and so I think this may be kind of a tracing of of humor uh, and animation through time. Uh, so definitely would have to go back to, I, I think, uh, the Looney Tunes and that anarchy that presented, because obviously I, I think they foreshadowed, foretold, and, you know, heavily, heavily influenced a lot of animation that wasn't Disney. Uh, Absolutely. It would, it would come along. Uh, so I think you have to start with with the Looney Tunes uh, and discuss that. Uh, I think that might hit on fractured fairy tales as well, uh, which also had that similar kind of sense of humor about it, um, that that real absurdity to it. Uh, we may even get into the. I, I was thinking a lot of. I got kind of started getting into comic strips as well. I thought about Mallard Fillmore. I thought about Non Sequitur. Uh, these comics that show up in the funny pages aimed at kids but have a very adult sensibility to them an absurd sensibility to them 
I think that's a really interesting, you know, thing. These are, you know, I, I grew up reading these stories about a middle-aged duck at a bar. Um, and really didn't think about it, you know, but I, I think there's really something to that. So I, I would really probably inter- intersect some of that as well. Maybe some Dilbert uh, kind of get into that as well. Um, and, and from there, I want to talk about the, uh, the, the grandchildren of, of the Looney Tunes. And those are the Animaniacs and this weird gonzo humor uh, and satire that they brought to 90s cartoon programming, uh, parodying movies and uh, pop culture that children just wouldn't get. Uh, and, and an animation, I think, to, to Dustin's point about Shrek, that was cartoons that were able to appeal to older generations and audiences, possibly parents sitting, having to sit down and watch cartoons with their children, you know, things like that, which, which kind of trans, you know, transposes to more of a family uh, entertainment in a weird sense. Uh, so I, I want to go to the Animaniacs. Uh, you got to talk about Nickelodeon. Uh, you got to talk about Rocco's Modern Life. Uh, you've got to talk about, uh, you know, Ren and Stimpy. Uh, two just bizarre shows that have such adult humor uh, and, and so much double entendre that it, it's wild it appeared on a kid's programming uh, through the 90s. Uh, beyond there, uh, I want to go with Ah Real Monsters, uh, and probably in that that Nickelodeon train at SpongeBob SquarePants proper, uh, a show with such great longevity, but such bizarre alternative humor. I think that allowed it to kind of stand out and stand the test of time, and and worked well in in kind of juxtaposition with shrek in many ways and the humor shrek presents uh finally i think i want to come back to warner brothers i want to talk about freakazoid uh, another kind of meta narrative uh self-referential rental self-referential comedy um that was unique and kind of i think ahead of its time uh, in, in many ways and just very sharp and and fun uh and so that's that's kind of how i would trace this this kind of history of of humor and its uses through animation through time i think and i'd probably juxtapose this with the films that they're subverting and and, and the co- the cartoons you know obviously the disney stuff the house of mouse but also you you alluded to it, anastasia the stuff from fox uh, those bluth films uh, american tale uh, doll dogs go to heaven uh, which feel very parallel to disney in many regards and people will mistake them for disney films right uh but those were kind of on the forefront of popular animation and then in the background you had this kind of counterculture animation rising up in the 90s and i think there's a really interesting dynamic going on between those two audiences and those you know what's happening on tv versus what's happening in cinema and shrek kind of feels like a culmination uh in a lot of ways and kind of two two roads uh coming together uh, in, in a new, new, unique way in, in 2001. So that's kind of where I'd go with this, I think. Excellent, excellent. I like that very much. You've almost inspired me like to scrap my entire syllabus and do like this Bashki films of the 70s thing. Yeah, like, like, yeah. the Cat and Wizards and, oh, yeah. and, and, oh, yeah. and Fire and Ice. You know, uh, I don't know if I'm, I'm not going to scrap it for that, but I just sort of, you know, you begin to spin my mind into those yeah. kinds of thoughts, you know, especially the X-rated Fritz the Cat, right? Yep, yep. Uh, which is uh, an interesting sort of counterpoint there. And also just like the whole culture of Mad Magazine is what you started making me think about. Yeah. A little bit there no, too, because so. it is it is very like juvenile, but mm-hmm. adult. Yeah. 
all at the same time. And I think that's a good way to describe Shrek. It's juvenile, but also for grownups, mm-hmm. you know, um, but uh, slightly differently. Um, but I think, again, augmenting very much uh, stuff that Dalton and stuff that you're saying, Arthur, uh, what I would do with my syllabus is, and I initially envisioned this, but I, now I want to like envision it with your classes uh, now, but I envisioned it as kind of a module within uh, kind of a classical Hollywood history Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of class in which you take on, you know, sort of the major, uh, you know, MGM and uh, United Artists and Universal and kind of look at various kind of film theory and historical approaches and practices to looking at that and uh, doing a module on Disney that would be, well, anti-Disney. Uh, yeah. As obviously um, Lord Farquaad is Michael Eisner uh, and uh, that's intentional, uh, the way in which uh, that representation is making fun of his height and perhaps compensation issues and all that stuff that goes along with it uh, was among some of the scuttle there and this the, the the bad relationship a lot of people dreams work DreamWorks had uh, with Eisner and uh, the the fact that Duloc is anti Disney uh, as a place and so yeah. I would uh, include in this uh, class a movie I mention a lot uh, on this show and that's Escape from Tomorrow. Uh, which is a great little pirate document or pirate experimental film uh, of adventures in Disneyland and the sort of middle-aged man losing his head uh, while he is there. Uh, It's surrealist. It's strange. It's bizarre and lots and lots of fun. And uh, for the most part, uh, I am in sort of this higher, uh, you know, sort of register of cinema making because my next film is Exit Through the Gift Shop, uh, the Banksy film. I don't know. Have either of you seen Exit Through the Gift Shop? No, I uh, no. I, I was gonna try to do a joke about how I know Banksy, but no, I just haven't. No, I haven't seen it. <laughs> yeah, it's fair enough. But uh, one of the the major moments in that film is, uh, you know, Banksy doesn't just do graffiti tag art, although that's part of it. He does these sort of uh, installation stuff, and as a graffiti artist, obviously the vandalism slash uh, trespassing aspect is really important. And he does trespass into Disneyland and has these sort of uh, dummies of Guantanamo Bay inmates, the orange jumpsuits with the black hoods over their heads that he plants all over the park (laughs) to raise awareness of Guantanamo Bay. (laughs) Um, Fascinating stuff uh, there. And um, turns out Disney's not very keen on that. Uh, and this idea of commercialization of art, which is exactly what, you know, Disney's doing. Um, I would probably also use some bits of pieces and a bit of history. There's a, I don't know if you're aware of this. You can find some of this sometimes on YouTube. Uh, the film Destino. Do we know Destino? Either one of you. Have, have I talked about it? That would be the only way you'd know about it. No. Once upon a time when I was writing a master's thesis about uh, Alfred Hitchcock's Spellbound, there's a dream sequence in that movie called uh, Designed by Salvador Dali. Yeah. Um, Dali partnered with Disney for a while to work on this long film called Destino. Uh, and so uh, imagine an animated film in the style of Salvador Dali uh, with his uh, surrealist, sexualized, bizarre stamp all over it. Um, there are bits of it out there in the world to be found. So do find it, dear listener. But that's the that's the thing that didn't make it right the thing that didn't actually find its way into creation um uh, lastly i i might include a movie like the florida project uh which is all about what's going on in the backyard of the 
the Disney fun parks, in this case, Disney World, not Disneyland, and uh, just what's going on there. And uh, a really great film and really incisive. And uh, though the Disney aspect is only there kind of as a button at the end of that film, it does uh, make a, a strange internal logic to the whole rest of the film workout. And I think it actually uh, makes the circle of the Mobius strip come right back in to escape from tomorrow. And uh, so that's what I would do uh, with that as a syllabus. So uh, there you go, dear uh, listener. Your syllabus just got much, much longer uh, there. Uh, I hope you guys both Google Destino, though. That's what I want to say. <laughs> I will have to it, do that, yes, because it sounds wild. It is a thing, and uh, it is exciting times, uh, let me tell you. But enough of this. I think it's time to get down to business. That's right, dear listener, and that business is, as always, analysis. Um, Dalton, make the case that Shrek broke animation. Do I have to? Okay. Uh, You seem to be the one who's most on board with it. Fair. Uh, yeah, I, I, <laughs> that that is fair. Look, I don't know that it broke animation, right? It definitely changed the game. Um, I, I guess I just am not wild. I, I don't know. I, I you not don't love the, where it went. I don't love where it went. Yeah, and, and there are things about it I like. I like being subversive, right? And it's not like you know there aren't some films in the Disney canon that uh, aren't also subversive. And as Arthur said, like there's a ton of great animation from the really late 80s uh, through the you know early aughts that full of like really kind of clever, weird, absurdist stuff. Like I'm, I'm totally there for all of that. The things that Shrek kind of popularized and, and cemented that I'm not wild about is this, this over-reliance on pop culture gags, which again is, is a thing that had already existed um, you know, prior to this. Dustin alluded to one earlier that I, uh, I was just thinking about. How, oh, uh, no, it was Arthur. You were talking about the Looney Tunes. Uh, Looney Tunes is a ton of like at the time, contemporary, um, you know, uh, pop culture references, uh, you know, referencing, you know, figures uh, of history, but also, you know, just, you know, people who, people, uh, uh, you know, folks that people watching in the, you know, 40s and 50s would have known uh, right, yeah, right away. Yeah. yeah, so this is nothing new. I guess Shrek just feels to me to over-rely on it uh, in a way that's frustrating. Uh, and it's is not... Is it the post-modernity of Shrek? I, I, you know, I like that aspect of it in some sense right like i love uh, as arthur said i the the robin hood thing or Monsieur hood hilarious i've been singing uh, it makes me mad he's mad he's really like i've been singing that whole ah. uh, song to myself all right. week it's very delightful uh, i like the uh um you know the what a load of crap and flushing the toilet like it, that's all fine the prince being a bad guy that's cool like that postmodern aspect i think is definitely the movie strength it, it truly is, but not the pastiche part. Of yeah, it's this sort of like above itness, I guess. Right? Uh, as somebody who's often got to remind themselves to not act like they're too cool for school, uh, I think Shrek is just—I don't know—thinks it's cooler than it is. Maybe there's a vibe thing that is just uh-huh. that's just bothersome to me. Again, I, the movie's not bad. I, I, I think. Ever, I, 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 I hope that. Well, and again, it really is more the template, right? Like I don't, I, I think it's been so long since I've seen any of the Shrek movies. I don't want to talk about the sort of the extended, uh, you know, franchise. Uh, and you know, Arthur, same for me. It's been at least a decade since I've seen uh, the first Shrek and probably longer. Um, and, and that was one thing I was struck by was this film in particular does skew a little bit more, uh, sincere. And Arthur, you kind of talked about the way in which it has got a, a warm heartedness for outsiders. And I, I think that is one of Shrek's strengths, right? Is, Disney films are so much about, you know, uh, you know, 
pretty young white people doing pretty young white people things and being becoming monarchs. And that sucks. Uh, it's not good. Uh, probably not something we should have uh, focused on making movies about for children for that long. Um, so there, there are aspects of Shrek that I think really work in its favor. Uh, and, and I mm-hmm. think, again, Arthur, you've, you've alluded to some of that sincerity that's here. But there is, I think, just a little bit too much. And I guess that it does bleed into the sort of its its postmodern um, tendencies um, that, that, Dustin, you already mentioned. Uh, it, it is just sort of too much winking, I guess. Maybe it is the... I don't dislike the the mashup of contemporary um, references or you know uh, hip hop songs. Like I, I'm not totally opposed to that. I guess I'm just frustrated by the the way in which it has become so prevalent and, and the way in which you know CG has become you know the dominating force in animation. Which you know yeah. there's a whole bunch of reasons that stuff happened. I mean, again, that was the whole class that I, I was pitching was kind of getting into the minutia of that because it's not yeah. just Shrek. It's it's a whole. Uh, movement <laughs> there there are so many factors into what changed in animation in this time period that yeah. you know you can possibly put on one movie one studio one person you'd be it would be absurd to try and, and pin it all, all on just like one thing but i think the focal point around all of it is shrek and, and part of that is you know katzenberg starting it i've been calling katzenberger i think too which is terrible uh sorry it's it's been that kind of a, a night getting the notes together uh, but uh katzenberg you know is already developing this at disney um when all of the kind of upheaval and, and position changes over there in the late 90s start going down mid to late 90s start going down so th- the film just kind of becomes a focal point because of its as arthur mentioned it's kind of long troubled production history at multiple studios um i, I think it actually might the I think the rights were picked up by Spielberg uh, right as DreamWorks is getting founded. Actually, DreamWorks yeah, it was early '90s. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, because I know you know they start with uh, Chris Farley like '95. I think. Yeah. I mean, they worked on this movie for the better part of a decade. And there was somebody before Farley that Spielberg had in mind when he was going to do the film. Yeah, I, I know. There's like a ton of animation that they scrapped. They wanted to do um, motion capture at first. Um, that was kind of like the initial plan, but that obviously fell through. Uh, but anyway, for for all of these kind of reasons we've alluded to or talked about, um, it, it is just sort of the focal point for this this shift. Uh, and not all of the things in that shift are bad, or I'm opposed to. I guess it, it just you know Pixar is equally uh, as responsible for. Uh, Yep. Making uh, names above the title be the way to sell kids' movies to adults. Um, I, I guess I just think there is a clever way to make the humor of your f- film uh, appeal to uh, the parents and the audience. Then um, I don't know the, the bad reputation drop, which is fun. Like the whole wrestling sequence, like the whole knights tourney and Duloc, f- super fun sequence. Like it, it is a ton of fun. But most of that is like visual gags, right? And, yep. and I think that's the movie's strength. I think it's got a lot of great visual gags, uh, and it's got a lot of uh, just likability from its, you know, its core cast. They're all giving fun vocal performances. Uh, they're all able to sell lines that, again, I don't really think are jokes. That's a nice boulder is not a joke. Eddie Murphy's really funny. <laughs> it's Literally. just charismatic yeah. enough to like yeah. sell a line that's barely a line. Yeah, right. um, it's a throwaway line. Yeah, totally, absolutely. But it, you, it sticks in your head though, because the, of Eddie Murphy. Yeah, in the morning I'm making waffles. Like, okay, that's actually that, there's a little bit more joke going on there yeah. with the whole him yeah. acting like a golden retriever thing. Um, again, I I was also shocked, Arthur, like how watchable this film was. I I I 
don't want it to sound like I'm I'm too cool for Shrek. I was just talking about this. I I, I am susceptible to this movie's charms for sure. Um, I, you know, I, I sat with uh, uh, on a voice chat with a whole bunch of not a whole bunch, I, but uh, you know, five or six people watching. And we were silent for most of the movie. It is very engaging. It's very entertaining, and it's extremely fun. If you you know haven't seen if this was a film that was a part of your childhood and you haven't seen it in a long time, it's really interesting to revisit. Uh, it's very fun to kind of think about this film and sort of its larger cultural context. You know, it's, it's sort of weird status as the meme movie, but I, yeah, Dustin, it's I, maybe it is the, I guess well, the, the, the short, the, the way too long answer to your question is kind of, it's the post-modernity of it, but I think it's more nuanced than that. Yeah. Well, and, and I, the reason why I asked that question is I, I think the historical analysis is kind of the first and probably some of the most fertile ground for wrestling with the movie. You were going to say something, Arthur, but go ahead. I was just going to say, it's an interesting question is, can you fault the movie for setting a trend? Mm. Because we're talking about Shrek, but I mean, think of Star Wars and the things that came in the wake of that, Uh, you know, Dracula and what came in the wake of that. Uh, The Dark Knight and what came in the wake of that. And Batman. Batman pure. Yeah. 89 Batman. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I, well, and I I just referenced Dark Knight because of the, you know, no, it's a good grim, point. Grim and real. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I mean you're, you're exactly right. Right. Every it set the tone for comic non Marvel comic book movies. God, if I if I read the words uh, grim or realistic in a press release ever again, my eyeballs are going to explode. Uh, I think you can. I, I don't think you can blame a movie for setting a trend. But you can be frustrated. Yes, and I think yeah. you can have your uh, um, your returns diminished. Right. Like mm-hmm. I, I think a movie can. Uh, shrink in some in, in one's estimation because of its you know the the culture around it yeah i like wolf of wall street less because of you know all the people that like that movie yeah <laughs> for reasons that i am confused by yeah or fight well, i think part of what it does is it demonstrates uh one of the things about uh this industrial art that is commercial cinema is that it is art but it is also industrial and industrialization always means reproducibility assembly line style production and so when something like shrek works in terms of finance uh and success uh, and also critical success i think the critics were generally pretty warm on it you know i mean i'd have to look at well and it picked up the uh the best animated picture oscar i think the was that the first year they did it was a one yeah yeah i mean it was a an award developed for disney right i I, I mean that's the thing about this movie it comes out catches everybody by surprise and uh just goes absolutely to work and and so you know it it does this you know it, it, it does very well and so of course um well as an industry and as an industrial kind of means of production they are going to try to again recreate prefabricated pieces to reassemble this what is successful about this movie and i i think that's part of what you're sort of running up against is it i think you would be much better with shrek existing as a thing by itself and then hollywood would go well that was fun let's make something else but yeah, that's I, hardly ever what hollywood does i think if shrek had you know broke even at you know 100 million or whatever right like if it had been a modest success uh i think it would be much easier to kind of look at it as a cult artifact and get super excited about it but as it stands you know i it's the reason i got you know got tj miller's in my my movies about dragons or whatever right like i just yeah. It is of a piece with a, an aspect of children's filmmaking that frustrates me. But again, as, as Dustin said, this is why talking about commercial film is fun, because there is this aspect of it that is totally separate from this artistic evaluation. And it does become like a 
you know, you know, it's it's the reason that people who are super into sports are also dorks because the fun stuff, if you're really into sports, is like statistics. Um, and when and if you're really into movies, the fun stuff is you know, uh, who worked at what you know who worked at what studio when. Correct. Yeah. Which is why I like both sports and movies. Yeah. That uh, makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> who played third base for Phil or for Pittsburgh in 1973? All right. Shrek. Uh, uh, Don Ho, actually, but um. That's a joke from um, City Slickers. Anyway, that's the only reason why I happen to have that knowledge. Uh, Dustin, you already alluded to the postmodernness of this film. It sounded like you were about to tee us up for something else, but I, I did kind of want to get your, your – you, you talk about uh, postmodernity a lot. You've written about it some. Uh, I just kind of wanted to get your take on what you feel like this film's doing, and it's sort of its uh, – I wouldn't say undermining of Disney, but at the very least, it's deconstruction of like fairy tales and stuff. Right. And, and I, I think there's two major postmodern aspects, you know, and again, postmodernity is this really sort of nebulous, dis- difficult thing to define in terms of literature or in terms of cinema, pop culture, whatever. But uh, generally speaking, when we engage with uh, postmodernity in cinema, uh, of the aspects of it that Shrek uh, sort of participates in the most, first of all, is uh, fourth wall breaking and winking at the camera, sort of self-awareness is a major part of postmodernity. Now, that's not the same thing as like burying the instrument. And so I, I think about, you know, there's a postmodern move in the Holy Mountain, right? Where yeah. uh, the, the the filmmaker, Jordawoski himself, who plays a character says, roll back the camera. This is just a movie. You're an idiot. Don't go with this, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, which is brilliant as a moment or what Mel Brooks would do uh, yeah. in uh, his own Robin Hood Men in Tights, which is Perfect. sent up in this film. Yeah. Uh, that that that's sort of the postmodern thing, as opposed to bearing forth the idea that this is cinema and we're making cinema, and to make sure that you know it's cinema and modernism. So I'm looking at like montage or some of the sort of extreme visual styles of say the 30s and 20s, even into the 1950s. That's that's a different animal there. So that winking kind of uh, self awareness is uh, definitely an attribute of postmodernism. We see that throughout this film. The other idea of postmodernism I think is important is pastiche. Um, Postmodernism will also do a lot of homage. I don't find this movie doing homage at all. Um, for the most part, it's just putting together the bits and pieces so that it can wink. So, for instance, when uh, Princess Fiona jumps up and ninja kicks uh, the uh, postmodern Robin Hood's Merry Men, and it's uh, the same wraparound camera move that you see in The Matrix. That is so that we know it's a movie making fun of the movies and she's got a hair flip on top of it, right? That's pastiche. Just throwing the sort of Matrix bit in there so that you see, hey, they did a Matrix thing here. Uh, they This WWF wrestling, right? Or WCW, I guess at that time in the 2000 aughts would be popular for Monday Night Raw. Um, and uh, for uh, Shrek to be doing the sort of, uh, oh, I forget what's his name from the NWO. Not not the big tall one, but the other one. Scott Hall. Uh, what's that? Scott Hall. Scott Hall. Yeah, he's he's doing the Scott Hall thing with his ears, right? And which yeah. is also kind of a Hulk Hogan thing. Yeah. But you know, I mean, Scott Hall was doing that a bunch in the two thousand aughts, and uh, so he's doing that and doing the sort of pro wrestling thing. Give him the chair, you know, the audience shouts. Yeah. You know. All of that is another way of sort of we're making a movie, and the fact that Duloc is clearly Disney, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, those those things, that's all those are all pastiche bits uh, that are being used to sort of stitch them together as a, a, a 
in a weird way, like an index of references. Sure. And it and definitely, so that's the uh, postmodern thing there. Yeah. I, I was just going to jump in to say, like, it definitely assumes a level of familiarity with Disney as a uh, entity, right? Which right. I think is fair. I think if you're seeing this movie either uh, now or in 2001, there's a pretty good chance you've seen at least one Disney uh, animated picture before because they've been making them for so damn long. Yeah. Right. And so, I mean, and, and that, that sort of, the 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 pleasures of this kind of uh, film is that you're in on the joke, mm-hmm. and it makes so many of them. And the reason why it is so sort of chock full of them is that if it only made a few of these kind of jokes, some people would miss them and they would not gain the pleasure of it. That's and fair. So you do tons of it, and that way you get at least everybody's getting every third one. Can I tell uh, you about my absolute favorite one? Truly. Go right ahead. Uh, it is the uh, the gingerbread Lord uh, Farquaad uh, interrogation. Uh, <laughs> when he waterboards the gingerbread man? Uh, yeah, when the gingerbread man's trying to throw uh, the uh, the muffin man under the bus. It's so good. <laughs> She's married to him. Uh, that's great. Uh, uh, it it makes it's it's fun. Like this, I, again, I don't want to be the mean guy uh, on this episode. I think it's it's got its moments where it like really delights. Um, it's just you know it does feel like. I get what you're saying, Dustin, that to like kind of double down on this sort of um, uh, fairy tale out of time pastiche. It's got to do a lot of these different bits. It's got to pull from a lot of different sources. And I I think that's fun. It's just uh, I I wish there were more actual jokes, uh, which maybe is too much to ask of this film. I mean, it isn't a, you know, a feat of animation technology at the time. Um, Again, it is trouble production. I I don't know. I just, uh, again, I think it is a, it is everything that happens in its wake over the next 20 years that does become kind of difficult to parse uh, as just like, um, you know, the, the state of animation, I guess. Well, I, and I think the worst thing that ever happens to cinema is a successful film. Yeah. I, I think is, is one of the arguments Fair. that we can sort of make using this is that this movie's great and it's fine, but it's, it's terrible because it was so successful as and we, you don't see 2d animation anymore. And yeah. there are stories that could be told. You the, know, only, the only blockbusters we have are Marvels. Right. Well, and DreamWorks animation pictures. Uh, look forward to uh, the Minions. Despicable Me, Young Gru. Is that what that one's called that's coming out? Yeah, I oh, so. I don't even know. I'm not Yeah, they, they Young Sheldon to Gru. Uh, so you have that to look forward to, Dustin. Oh, excellent. Well, I do have a two-year-old, so I'm sure I'll see it. But <clears throat> at some point. Uh, nonetheless. So, yeah, that's... That's an avenue of analysis. And I mean, there's a number of other things that we could discuss here. Um, I'm, I'm sort of holding my cards on something because I happen to know what next week's show is. Mm, and okay. so I, I, I want to hold one of them back. Well, well others... what about, Go I was ahead, just going to say, what about this film as baby's first entry to gentrification? Arthur, I was just about to bring that up, dude. Ah, I was going to call you yeah, ba- baby's. Uh, one of the classes I was working on was, uh, uh, exterminate all the brutes for kids. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely, and again, I, I maybe it's just because I was listening to something about this earlier today. I, I want to avoid doing a, doing what you, what's called a, in the academia, uh, it's called a left reading, right? Or really in any cultural analysis. It, it is easy to subscribe your values, your ideologies yeah. onto a film to, uh, to, to make the case that it's better than it is, right? Um, and, I, you know, I, we've probably been guilty of that on the show at some point. Uh, I, I think sure. we try our best to uh, admit when we're we're forcing a read on the movie as opposed to we think this is what the movie's saying. Um, but the film is definitely about uh, people with money displacing people without money. 
Well, not uh, even the poor people. I mean, it's completely the others. The, the other, exactly. And, right. and again, the, the otherness the white, infers a lack of resources, I guess. All the white kingdom people are gladly inside at the wedding. Uh, yeah. all, all the city mm-hmm. folk are there, but the, the, the nice fairy tale creatures are left in the swamp with Shrek. Yeah, the ghetto, it, it, they've ghettoized the shrap, the swamp, which you know is is a choice. Uh, that that is a choice to make, and it's a bold one. Uh, mm-hmm. I think it's I I, I uh, the movie's going for something, and you, you can't say it's not in that regard, right? It definitely somebody somewhere in the uh, the chain of story development uh, chose for the bad guy to be doing a very bad thing. Um, I don't know that the film really engages with it that much. Uh, I don't know that it's bad to i don't know i i guess i'm not sure where i come down on using I that as a plot think, device well the answer well, I is think not to the... get them all kicked out of shrek swamp it is to make sure a dragon eats the mayor <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so there's something there yeah i'm not going to say what that is but i think there's with something as, there. as lightly as it deals with the subject matter as well it doesn't feel super harmful i guess you know it's i mean oh we just he arrested all the fairy tale creatures. You, you know, I, I think that very service level element of it doesn't make it super harmful. But I think it, you know, if you're wanting to, you know, break this movie open and discuss it, I think it's certainly a nice jumping off point. Well, it doesn't become the last black man in San Francisco, right? Because even though that's there, it's the, there's so much hand holding you've got to do, I mm-hmm. think. Yeah, to bring another audience member to see that, and again, I agree with Dalton. I don't think it's one of those left readings where you're wanting to see this, and so there it is. No, I think it's there, but once you pointed out, I don't, I, I, I don't know. I, yeah, it's I, extremely it's, surface it's level. Yeah. Well, and again, you know, Shrek's arc is still the arc of uh, most Disney heroes, right? Uh, a relationship that leads to adjacency to royalty and power. Mm-hmm. Uh, now that that looks very different for Fiona and Shrek, and I, I like that about the movie, right? I, I think there's this moment, uh, you know, when him and Donkey are stargazing, and Fiona's kind of just like watching their interactions and is you know hiding so nobody knows that she turns into an ogre at night. There's this nice moment where Shrek's like, yeah, you know, sometimes things are more than they look like they are, and uh, that seems to be the movie's whole ethos, right? Like, yeah, right. we're a fart joke movie, but we got heart, and I, I respect that about the film. I really do. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know that it really does much with its uh, uh, playing with these themes. Uh, and I guess I, I didn't think of anything about it was harmful, Arthur. I guess I was just kind of mulling over um, how successful it is uh, in using those themes and, and whether or not it is, you know, whether or not it's problematic to use those themes if you don't really have anything to say, I yeah. guess. Yeah. But Dustin makes a point. The film does have something to say. Uh, you should kill people who try to resettle people. Um or at the very least, you should not stop a dragon from doing it. Well, in some ways, remove them from power, I think, might be what the film suggests. It just does so comically by having an enormous female dragon who's got the hots for a donkey. Mm, well, all right. We can agree to disagree, I think. Saying, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Oh, we got it. We got another episode in and we're on a watch list once again. Thanks. Hey, <laughs> all right. You know what? Any, any publicity is good publicity, right? Uh, if, if we've got NSA caseworkers listening to us, that keeps the algorithm happy. We're in good company I, I, within cold blood. I just point out that the film does in its climax have a moment where a character eats the rich. That is a thing. Um, it's just That's the movie. I'm just saying what the movie does. And Disney would have let them eat cake. 
Yes, indeed. All right, let's render a verdict on this film before we find our ways onto another watch list. What do you finally say in the final uh, shuffle with the movie Shrek? Shelf or trash? I go to you first, Arthur. I think I'm going to shelf it. I like it. Very good, very good. What do you say, Dalton, after all this discussion? I'm going to cop out and say stream it. Um, and yeah, that's the cheaty uh, baby's answer who doesn't want to uh, come down on one side or the other of a conversation. But, you know, I think it's worth watching. I think there's fun to be had. Uh, and again, I think it uh, the, the conversation we've had has been a ton of fun. And again, I think it is invaluable uh, for just talking about animation history, especially uh, particularly American anim- animation. Um, yeah, it's worth watching. It's worth your time. It doesn't need to be thrown in the trash. But come on, you don't need to own Shrek. Uh, even if you've got kids, you probably don't need to own Shrek. This movie is going to be streaming somewhere in perpetuity. Very good, very good. Thank you for that, Mr. Dalton Stewart. I own Shrek, uh, <laughs> and so therefore I say shelf because I already have, and I and I would be disingenuous to say otherwise. Do I visit it all the time? Has it been sitting in its DVD case for maybe a decade? Yeah, probably so. But I'm not mad that I've got it, and uh, I I wouldn't be mad to see it on anybody's shelf. Um, so. Dustin, you bring up a good point. Uh, That DVD's got a lot of great special features. It was one of the first DVDs I owned, and boy, is it stacked. Uh, Kids, uh, you might not know this, but once upon a time, uh, disc releases came with a lot of supplemental materials, and that was kind of fun. Yes. So, Well, there you go, dear listener. Those were our thoughts on Shrek. Um, Dalton, tell them how they can be part of the conversation by those magical means that we know as social media. Yeah, if you want to chastise me for uh, saying, hey, kids... That's perfectly fine, and you should do that. And there's lots of ways you can get in touch with us to tell us uh, what you think about Shrek. Uh, you can send your long-form feedback to the show at goodtrashgenrecast at gmail.com. Uh, you can find us on Twitter. We've got a new handle. It's no longer good underscore trash. We've been parking on the underscore one for way too long. Uh, we are now at Good Trash Media on Twitter. Um, you can find links to this show and past episodes, uh, future episodes, and other shows uh, made by people in our orbit and you know affiliated with the network. You like uh, Randy Newman? You should check out uh, Dan Wade's show, The Wheel of Randy, uh, in which he uh, takes a guest uh, on a tour through Randy Newman's uh, discography. Every episode's a little bit different, uh, different vibe, different guest. You should check it out. It's a lot of fun. Um, next up, you could check out The Praise Down with Heath and Alex, uh, a show about contemporary Christian culture uh, that uh, isn't hosted by two Christians, but, you know, they try to be nice about it. They're not bullying anybody, I don't think. Uh, and again, I think there's a heartfelt uh, conversations to be had there. The Praise Down's kind of like Shrek in, in that it has many layers. Uh, this show is like a banana like the uh, Dustin and I I think. Um so again that is at good trash media on Twitter. It's going to be very hard to not say good underscore trash. I'll tell you what. I've been saying it for almost 10 years. Wow. Uh good trash media on Twitter. Again, hey, I can't Yes, sir. If, if it's not broke. Is oh is Twitter broke? Uh, no, if it's not broke, don't fix it. Oh, if it's not broke, don't fix it. You know, look, sometimes you got to you got to park uh, the handle where it belongs. And I, I think Good Trash Media is a handle we deserve to have. Um, but you're right. Uh, I, I have broken the cadence and flow of the social media segment, and I'll probably never get it back. And, you know, that's OK. We've got to evolve and change uh, sometime, folks. Um, is there anywhere else that they can find us? Probably. We're on uh, Instagram and Facebook. We don't really update those or keep an eye on them because, you know, Facebook. Um 
if you want to help us keep the show alive, you can definitely do that. Uh, we're a little bit behind on our bonus content for you, but there's lots of things you can get uh, from the tiers of our, our, our Patreon. Uh, that's patreon.com forward slash GTM. Um, go ahead, take a peruse. Uh, look at it, see if there's anything that speaks to you. If you, you want to help us pay some web hosting fees and whatnot, uh, you can definitely do that. Uh, we talked about displaced people. Um, so I don't know. It, it's worth mentioning that uh, there's some great homeless shelters uh, and, and other uh, homelessness-affiliated uh, places you can give money to here in our area. Uh, I'm just going to plug some local stuff. There's the uh, the SISU, S-I-S-U, uh, youth shelter here in Oklahoma City. It's a LGBTQ affirming a youth shelter. It's a great place you should give money to. Uh, there's food and shelter for friends. Uh, they're Norman-based, but that's just south of us. That's like the only uh, program I know that just is straight up transitional, no questions asked housing. Well, there's some questions asked, uh, but just straight up transitional housing for people uh, trying to move their life out of homelessness. Um, anyway, I don't know. I don't normally do that. It seemed worth mentioning. We talked about... Uh, the displacement uh, of folks by folks, other folks with means uh, and power. So, you know, well, let's talk about something other than us. Um, and just d- for the record, all the people I hang out with on the weekends, um, every Sunday morning, I'm hanging out there at food and shelter for friends there in Norman. So, you know, look me up if you come down. Oh, Hey, there you go. Yeah. It's a great, it's a great shelter. Uh, and again, there's lots of other uh, related uh, charities. You could look at, look into uh, the homeless uh, Alliance of Oklahoma city uh, operates uh, a, a, periodical. If you live here local, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, if you're not local, you can go look into the Homeless Alliance of Oklahoma City. They do some good work. Uh, and yeah, if you are a local, I don't know, you can go down to Norman on Sunday, hang out with Dustin, pass out some uh, breakfast burritos. Mm-hmm. Um, Dustin, you've been holding on to something, keeping it close to the chest, uh, because you know what we're doing next week. Do you want to reveal that now? Um, do I want to reveal it or do I want to? Ta- I-, I think Arthur is the revealer in, in chief. And uh, I mean, that's that's what his prison record says. And so I think I'm going to go ahead and let him reveal what we're doing next. Well, gentlemen, next week, (laughs) we take on the absolute juggernaut of 1990s uh, cinema. We take on the Academy Award winning box office busting supernatural romance ghost. That's right. Patrick Swayze. It's going to be great with Unchained Melody. I cannot wait. So uh, you keep watching, we'll keep talking, and we'll see you all next time. I'm not afraid.